Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today I have a very special guest. She's a a friend of mine, and I've gotten to know her over the years. And she just retired from being a nephrology nurse for 42 years. I think, Ian, you need to put a little applause here right here for me. So Mary Hoglum is an incredible nurse, very dedicated to her patients. And today we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things she's taught her students over the year and what she's learned from patients. So welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you. I enjoy being a nephrology nurse. It's kind of hard for me right now to be retired. I miss everybody, but that's the next chapter in my life. I know. Well, and you, you know, I know that you live 32 miles from your your office, and uh, you live out in the wilderness, so just that commitment alone of going to work every day of 32 miles, and you're in the snow. I'm a Southern California girl, so I get a little (laughs) freaked out when I'm like, oh my goodness, snow. How do you drive 32 miles in the snow? So um, patients appreciate your dedication. Thank you, but many of the patients come farther than me, so... (laughs) We have to be there for them. You know, that your perspective is so incredible. And I was wondering if you had any ideas how we could bottle it and sell it to the kidney community. Because you always remember that the patient comes first and they have so many obstacles to get there. And that's what I've always admired about you is you really know your purpose and the gift it is to be a healthcare professional. So can you tell us a little bit um, what you've done over the years to help share that knowledge with some of your students and your patients that you've educated? Well, first off, I learned from my patients. I learned that everyone's unique in their own way and you have to find what makes them tick, what makes them interested in talking to you. So you have to capture that, and then you can move on with that. And that's one of the first things that I try to teach my patients, or my students, excuse me, that everybody is unique in their own way. Nobody likes to go to dialysis, but they do learn things. They do gain from us because We end up being like their family, and they end up being like our family if the relationship continues to grow. They're going to be there for a while. It's not like somebody just having surgery that you don't really have to connect with, and they're going to be going out the door in a couple minutes. It's somebody that's going to be part of your clinic for a long time, and you've got to make it work. Right. Well, it's, it's like you're having Thanksgiving dinner three times a week. And, yep. you know, you're going to like some of the people and you're not going to like some of the people, but you have to get along. And I think one of the things that you said by everybody's unique, I know for myself when um, a healthcare professional, um, I can tell in like five minutes, in the first couple of minutes, you know, patients don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And yep. by exactly. you exploring a patient's, you know, what's unique about them, you're really caring about them and that that's the that's 101 in healthcare nursing is if you know you don't care about me why should i trust you yeah. and and how do you help new healthcare professionals understand that and especially in this busy environment i think that one of the things i do is i tell them stories 
you know, anybody can read from a book. Anybody can read off of PowerPoints on how to do something. But you've got to make that theory match something that happened so that the new students understand. So I usually have some stories that I tell them on how certain things worked for me or certain things that didn't work for me. And I and I really try to talk a lot about the things that didn't work for me, where I put my foot in my mouth or where I might have offended a patient because I don't want it to happen again. And I want the students to understand that I'm not perfect either. I learn by trial and error like everybody else. And many of my students say, how do you have so many stories? And I I just say, well, I've been doing it for 42 years. When you're doing it that long, you're going to have that many stories too. Well, so give us an example. What would be the first thing? So it's, it's about finding the uniqueness of a patient um, and what, you know, they need to know that the healthcare professional cares. What's the second step that a healthcare professional can do to connect with a patient? Don't give up on the patient. Because at the beginning, when they first come to our clinic, they're scared. We're like meeting somebody new. We have this too many times can presentation that we give to them. We've got to get off the beaten path. And we've, and the patient doesn't understand the lingo. You've got to make sure they're understanding it. But if they seem disinterested, it's probably not that, that they're disinterested. It's probably that they're scared to death. Right. Um, so just don't give up on them because then they're going to be on your side or they're going to be your friend, um, right. your cohort. Um, because if, if somebody gets crabby at me one day, a patient and some of the staff say, don't go by her. She's always crabby like that. Man, they're the ones that I really hone in on because there's something that's making them that way. Right. And 99% of the time, it's fear. Well, and the thing is, is I get really frustrated when I'm at meetings and they say, oh, you know, we have angry patients. Well, you'd be angry, too, if your kidneys failed and you had yep. to go to a clinic three times a week. And and I explain to them that, you know, anger is what helps people change. And if, exactly. you know, and if a patient doesn't have any emotions or just comes in and just says, oh, you know, I'm fine, just it's not they're really not connected to life, I find a lot of times. Yep. And, you know, you have to go through the emotions of shock, denial, fear, anger, depression, grief, and then finally understanding and acceptance. And, you know, I think anger gets such a bad rap because anger is what motivates us to do something differently. And exactly. And I, you know, I mean, not that, you know, you have to be violent or something like that, but um, I hear it meeting after meeting about these angry patients. And I think what people are doing, this is and I've heard it from patients, too, is like, you know, they avoid them because they're they're upset. And the true sign of a courageous healthcare professional is to go to a, a person who has kidney disease bedside or chair side. And that's the sign of a courageous healthcare professional is try to meet with them when they're not happy. And on their ground. Right. Um, I remember one of my social workers once we had a, we were having some problems with a patient and some of the staff had tried talking to this patient and they were kind of getting nowhere. So the social worker went and sat with him for a while and he just kind of wasn't talking. Um, well, you know, some of your patients, their goal is 
toward the end of the day to get out of there. Get out of there. Some of them want to go have cigarettes, whatever. They want to get out of there. Well, this social worker sat with the patient and sat with the patient, and he really wasn't saying much. And he said, you know what? I don't want to talk to you in here. There's ears everywhere. Come back when I'm done with my treatment in 15 minutes. Um, and then we'll go outside, I'll have a cigarette, and we can talk about it. Well, n- number one, that was huge that she even got that information out of him. Right, Because he everybody it. had tried. She sat there long enough to get that little piece of information out. She did go outside. And I have to tell you, this social worker hated smoke. She hated smoke. She sat out at the picnic table for for probably 35 minutes while this, while this patient chain-smoked and talked to her. She met him in his environment, whether she wanted it or not. And man, that's the best example of patient care and patient listening. Right. It can't get better than that. Well, and it is. It's because I think, um, you know, in the olden days, <laughs> I'll say when I was on, you know, dial, we you know, you had more um, staff ratio than you do today. Yep. And so it's it's much more difficult on healthcare professionals to make that connection. But I know for me, um, when I was back on dialysis, I had this technician and his name was Chance. And I thought it was so wonderful that he decided that um, I was kind of bored and I had my iPad and, you know, or kind of sharing a TV. I had to be in center for a few months. I was, um, and he said, you know, why don't you download Angry Birds and, and um, Plants with Zombies? And, you know, he was an expert in these two games. And, you know, I downloaded <laughs> them. And, you know, here we're, like, connecting with me, um, you know, like teaching me how to, you know, grow the plants and kill the zombies on this app. And I, I found that that, you know, he did. He was trying to connect with me. And it was something that he knew about. I had nothing. You know, I'm not a big game player. But Angry Birds did kind of fit the bill of how I felt sitting in that chair. So maybe I was able to release some of my anger by that little bird flying around and hitting the brick walls. But um, it it was a great example of him understanding that I was very restless. And, you know, um, I couldn't sleep when I was on dialysis. And when you can't sleep and you can't watch TV and you can't eat and you can't drink, I mean, those minutes go by very, very slowly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, it's like eternity. Like when you're waiting in the air, you know, when you're waiting on an airplane because it's sitting on the tarmac. And, you know, the, that that's the same equivalent of time of sitting in a chair. When it's you're like sitting a part-time there. job not getting paid for. Exactly. I mean, seriously. It's it's very. So, um, so in addition to that, what is some of the things that you've witnessed over the years from patients that have gained your trust? What have you come to learn from them and... What can you teach other healthcare professionals by gaining, you know, these relationships? I, I just can't. I'm going to keep coming back to not giving up. I had a patient that was, every time I went by him to try to introduce myself, he'd say, fine, get out of here. Fine, get out of here. And and I did keep going back and keep going back and keep going back, but I never got an, a, any additional response. All of a sudden, about probably six months later, I heard over the loudspeaker that they were supposedly having a code and I ran out to the floor um, to take care of this patient, to help take care of a patient, not this particular patient, but a patient. 
Um, when I got out there, I realized that they had everything under control, that the patient was really just hypotensive, and there was enough staff there, so I turned around to wash my hands to leave the unit, and all of a sudden I thought, well, you know what? A lot of people don't know what happened. I can see it, um, but a lot don't. So I was going to wash my hands and go around the room and talk to the different patients, and I went to this gentleman first, and he said, I'm fine, get out of here. And I thought, well, I bet you that was a little bit, I said to him, I bet you that was a little bit scary. He said, nope, I'm fine. I said, okay, well, I'm just letting you know that um, if you have any questions, I'm here. And he said, I'm fine. And one more time I said um, something about the incident. And he said, listen, I have been afraid to death for the last six months. I didn't know who knew what or what was going on. And there's my blood outside the bot, my body. I've been afraid to even blink. He said, right now, I just saw that they know their stuff and everything's working fine. They know what to do in an emergency and I'm going to take a a nap. So just leave me alone. But he finally gained everybody's confidence, but he had to do it on his own time frame. Right. And, you know, just not giving up. I mean, and I think that, you know, the other patients in the unit always offer support too. I mean, um, I, I know for myself that, do you find that, that some of the long-term patients that are a little bit more adjusted, it is a family. They play a role too in helping those other patients or their peers feel comfortable. But on the flip side, sometimes that can work against you. Um, right. They have, there are some patients that skip their treatments or they, or things like that. Well, the the patient notices that and they start talking to the other patient. I, you weren't here for a week. And the, that patient will say, yeah, it doesn't make much of a difference. You know, so we want to try to keep in tune with that and find out if the patients are getting that message and not correct them because they have formed their own opinion, but continue right. to re-educate them. Well, and I know um, I talk to a lot of patients who call and they say, um, oh, you know, transplants never work. And, and you know, I'm so afraid of getting a transplant. And I'm like, well, their only source of information is the, the dialysis waiting room. And the yep. transplant success stories don't sit in the dialysis waiting room. And I was one of those patients. I had two unsuccessful transplants before I got my third one. And basically, I'm like, yeah, I had two that didn't work. And I, I wasn't trying to scare people, but just <laughs> hearing that statement, like, we'll see. But um, you don't find the successful transplant sitting, waiting to be dialyzed. And I tell patients that all the time. I tell my peers that, you know, um, transplant's a very good option. And you need to really understand that it's not... Um, the dialysis unit is not a representation of, of transplant success. And yeah. I think it's, um, and it's also important for people who have transplants to go back to their clinics because I'm sure exactly. you've had some patients come back and it makes the staff feel good. I mean, that's one of the oh. things I want the listeners to take away is to share this show with some of their nurse friends and um, technicians and healthcare professionals, but also I want them to know the role they play in inspiring other patients and also their staff. It is so fun when the patients come back. It's just, it's like a breath of fresh air. Um, And, you know, some of them don't want to walk around and meet everybody because they don't know them. But some of our patients have come back for years, and it's just 
I can't tell you how good that is. Well, and you're the reason we're living. That's the thing, is that this is such a noble profession. People do not understand that nowadays. I think some of the people I speak to, because I'm like, you're saving people's lives. And, and well, do they really, I mean, how do we get the new generations of healthcare professionals to understand that you're helping people live the life they were meant to live? And if you weren't I don't there, think we can make them. We have to nurture them until it becomes their passion. Right. And then all of a sudden, they're going to be the ones coming to us and say, you're right, this is the best job ever. Well, it's, you know, healthcare is tough. I mean, dialysis is tough. But I've seen a trend, and I'm sure you have too, is that, you know, once you get into dialysis, it's hard to kind of get out. <laughs> There's a lot of people who just, you know, it gets, they, they, they love it. They just, you know, okay, I'm going to, nope, and they come back, you know, or they come back to the kidney community because it is a very tight-knit community. Uh, like is. you mentioned in the beginning, um, I don't know of any other healthcare field that takes care of people such a long time. And you either die or you get better or you go into remission. And, you know, fortunately, we have dialysis that can sustain our lives, but it requires serious maintenance. And, you know, that's where you come in to know all the healthcare professionals that are at your unit. And a great example is I had more healthcare professionals at my wedding than my own family. Oh. Um, I mean, it was. It, it was a celebration. You know, I'd grown up with all of these people who just, you know, beat the odds on several occasions. And, you know, to be able to share in my wedding with them was incredible for them because they're the reason I was able to even get married. And um, secondly, I think it's it's important because we do have a lot of losses and you have to share the wins <laughs> to keep people inspired. It's so awesome to see that somebody does have a real life. So many people um, think that they come to dialysis and they go home and they go to bed for until their next dialysis treatment. You and I shared that when we did the legislative day. You right. know, so many of the legislative reps felt that. It's so nice to know people date, people have other things, and we can't just focus on their dialysis. That's getting them to having a life. Well, and I was talking to this physician that said he, you know, is not having much success with his nocturnal dialysis unit. And so I was asking him some questions and I'm like, what time does your, no, your nocturnal, you know, what time does it start, the shift? And he said, seven o'clock. And I said, that is not the nocturnal shift. That is the late shift. And that is when, um, you know, uh, we're having dinner. We might be going the out third. on a day, going to a show. I mean, um, for me, too, the night was better than the morning. So um, I, I'm sure you see a trend with a lot of people who have kidney disease. They're better off at night, kind of the later in the day they have more energy than first thing in the morning. Yep. So um, <laughs> so I'm like, it's not and really some nocturnal. Some of our clinics have actually even started later in the day. I don't know when it started that dialysis has to start at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> because we're, the patients don't want to be there that early, but if you assign them, it's like, get her done. And right. so many of our clinics now are starting to start a little bit later, normal hours. Right. It's better for transportation. It's better for the patient's life. They can do something the evening before because they don't have to get up at the crack of dawn or before the the rooster crows to 
go to dialysis. And so we're looking at it a whole different way. Well, and it's there's a book right now, too, out that I just downloaded, and it call, it's called The Patient Will See You. And it's a really interesting book because I just read the synopsis, but it's really about how healthcare needs to change so that it's, I mean, it's when the patient, it's more most convenient for the patient to either see the doctor you know, get the treatment. Um, I mean, everything's set up where, you know, you, you cannot call a doctor's office and make an appointment between 12 and 2. Those those yep. are lunch hours. I mean, if I'm working, that's when I can call. And then um, my orthopedist, they just opened on Saturdays for doctor's appointments. And they're they're changing the way because it's it needs to be when the patient will see you when it's most convenient when they're exactly. able to to adhere to the um, treatment plan because if you try to put a patient I mean I can't even imagine I, I'm going back to the beginning you want patients to show up at five o'clock in the morning and you live in Wisconsin and they have more snow there than I think we've had rain for the last five years in California so it's just to get up and drive in the dark with the snow makes me afraid. <laughs> yep. um, and how do you get there and how dangerous is it? So um, I know for several months out of the year, you have bad weather. And, you know, even that obstacle alone of getting up and, and getting to a treatment. So I hope that the community will, will think more um, in those, those ways. And the tide has changed in that way, too. I remember when I first started dialysis, we had one dialysis unit, and everybody came to that unit. Now, I think I have nine or ten of them in my area, and I I was lucky enough to help open the Shawamigan Bay Clinic, and it was kind of fun because the patients that used to drive from there, um, from Michigan and all over, to come to Duluth to... um come to our unit, now could have their dialysis close to home. And when I helped open that unit, I learned so much more about these patients because when they drove to Duluth, they slept all their their run because they had just driven two and a half hours to wow. get there. I can't even imagine. And they were going to drive two and a half hours to get home. So it was just a joy to see them in their own environment, see them with their own ethnicities. Um, it was fun and it really opened my eyes and and that's when satellite units started no, um, erupting all over and they should continue yes it has to be more convenient well to wrap up you have been a nephrology nurse for 42 years and educating you know your peers your patients and you know what what do you think you've i mean i'm putting you on the spot a little bit mary but what do you think you have learned over these 42 years that you take with you um, everywhere you go. I've learned from my students. I've learned from my patients. And I've learned to be humble. I mean, I used to say how lucky I am. I just have to be humble. To have had the opportunity to work with such wonderful staff and to take care of such wonderful patients, I really, really miss it. And it's only been a month. It's only but been a month. Let's see how long you heart. last. You're going to be back working. <laughs> I predict you'll be back working by July. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? Maybe you can you can start a little um, satellite right out in your backyard um, <laughs> where you could just the, go over there. and the you beavers. Could, you could do that or Camp Beaver. You could have Camp <laughs> Beaver in your backyard since you're 30 miles and you have a big property. You could have a little 
children's camp or, you know, staffing camp or something like that. Have them come out to you um, and you can give them your great attitude and perspective because it's it's needed. And I think that you're so refreshing to speak to. And, you know, you summed it up. You're so humble and caring. And I admire that. So thank you for your support of patients on behalf of patients. Um, I wish we could clone you and, you know, send you around the country. And I'm watching a show called Orphan Black. It does seem like it might be a reality um, to clone somebody um, based on this TV show. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at the next um, meeting, or maybe you can make a trip out to L.A. when it's freezing cold. But you keep doing what you're doing. I think you were the, the person, when I heard you speak, I turned into a Lori Hartwell groupie, and you changed my attitude. So never give up, Lori. Thank you. You're so sweet. Love you. Bless we'll your talk heart. to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.